Yeah, in fact, it's funny. Just last night, same time, I had a conversation. It was an amazing conversation. AC Klein, uh, and he's been through two or three programs with the AC. Uh, you know, generally we were just catching up on various things about what the AC does well, what it, what what he would like us to do better, etc. And then I found out that um, his first startup was in Bangalore, in India. And this was 10 years ago. And 10 years ago, I do remember reading up about the startup. Most of the folks in the ecosystem knew the startup. No one knew the founder, true to the uh, DNA of a tech founder, not, you know, not, not very outspoken, doesn't get out there on events, et cetera. So last night, literally 24 hours ago, is when I said, oh, wait, you're the founder of Gecko? And he goes, uh, yeah, I am. You've heard of me? And I'm like, dude, the whole, like the entire ecosystem here has heard of you. No one really knows you. He's now onto his second startup, or maybe third, I don't know. But uh, right now he runs a startup out of Waterloo called Tiny Chef. Uh, really fascinating stuff. So... Perfect. Welcome, everyone, to the show. Uh, today we have John and Jay from the AC Center. Um, this one's really special to me. Um, the, the AC Center and uh, Kitchener Waterloo. We're, we were previously talking before we started, John and Jay about how instrumental it is to the Canadian innovation uh, ecosystem and how many companies have really come out of this region and through, through the center. And uh, now, you know, you both are, uh, you know, been, are part of its uh, present and future. So, uh, John, you've been uh, interim CEO and, and operating um, at the, the AC. And Jay, you're coming in, uh, coming in hot all the way from India, uh, you know, to lead, this, uh, lead the new, new guard. So uh, I really want to kind of talk about, um, you know, what, the innovation sector is from both your lenses. You know, I, I would see you know some some similarities, but uh, I believe there's some great insights we can uh, we can all learn uh, from you both. But also talk about the future of uh, you know Canadian tech and innovation and uh, the region, uh, and we'll lead up to that. But uh, for now, welcome to the show, guys, John and Jay. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. This is really exciting. Thanks for allowing us to to be a part of it. Yeah. So. Generally, I mean, I'm used. To, you know, we run like one-to-one conversations here with like founders who, who who have built their baby over time, and that's like overjoy to talk about uh, you know this this thing that they emerge into this world. Uh, but you you represent one of the you know an accelerator center that uh, you know that that has built so many companies and are and is planning to build and help uh, see, you know bring bring forth a lot more companies into the innovation industry. So I want I want to kind of dive into you know right into it. What does innovation mean? Uh, let's start with John, and then we'll jump over to Jay. John, what does innovation mean for you? Sure, I think that's a really great question. And as we go through this, we might find a little bit more about my background, which is not at all related to innovation in certain respects. I'm primarily a relationship builder and government relations uh, person. So innovation to me uh, previously was really this nebulous kind of concept of, uh, of excitement uh, and enthusiasm and energy. And at my time with the AC, really having the opportunity to bring about uh, learnings for me of how people think differently uh, and apply solutions to to problems and really having the opportunity to dive into learning about disruptive innovation and how that's truly going to impact every single sector uh, you know on the outside looking in you know the uberization of uh, any sort of sector is something that uh, one needs to look out for so not only is it about massive change uh, and uh, and acceleration of technologies but it's also the engine that drives job creation and that's my mm-hmm. personal motivation is community development, bringing uh, wealth and prosperity to uh, to a community 
while bringing about positive uh, changes with the impact on, on society. Love that. Jay, what about yourself? Yeah, I have a slightly different yet complementary perspective. Um, so in full disclosure, I did look you guys up and uh, uh, I love the red chairs, red or pink, at least on the, on the videos <laughs> that look like red. I thought that was, that was innovative right there. But uh, I think to go back to your question, um, you know, we live in times where I think in the last decade or maybe two decades, we've had some fascinating innovators uh, turning entrepreneurs and creating new opportunities for the world, right? So with that context, I think in my head, the definition of an innovator is someone who looks at a value chain and makes create a little tweaks across the value chain, be it incremental or be it big, uh, until such time that you have impact at the far end of the value chain. And I think the difference between the innovator and the entrepreneur is that the innovator creatively keeps doing it without necessarily looking at financial outcome at the far right, whereas the entrepreneur mm -hmm. does it with the intent of having some sort of return on investment on the far right. So I think to me, those are the two. Um, one leading to the other, not necessarily all the time, but but I think that's the big difference. And to me, that's the innovator. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, I think that that's a great spectrum to think about because, you know, you'll see like, these PhDs or like these scientists, you know, come up with these great innovations, but they don't necessarily commercialize uh, these innovations. If someone else takes it upon them to commercialize, or they partner with somebody else to commercialize them, right? I mean, it really takes a truly uh, like unique person to both almost innovate and, and, and bring forward something new and commercialize it and bring it forth. That's why the, the, the few that make it, like we, we prodigize so much, you know, we held them up in such esteem because uh, they kind of stick out and stand out. It's, it's, you know, it's really a hard task to do both. And oftentimes, most companies are trying to do both. But we seem to have like the most successful ones, they kind of focus on the commercialization ones. You know, they don't, you know, they, they, they build up on top of existing innovations and they kind of spiral things into, into a new way, right? So the three ways of innovation, right? Uh, product, service, um, or uh, process, right? A way of improving things. But I, I kind of want to later from uh, your lens, right? Especially with innovation changes. Uh, we've talked to uh, accelerators from the, the Pacific side of Canada and on the Atlantic regions. Um, we have yet to go to the prairies, but we've gone to the Yukon. And it seems like each, each, each sector is kind of focused on different sides, uh, different industries, right, strategically, uh, based off of where lo locally are. Um, I would love to talk about, um, you know, you know with everything going virtual now, is that still the case? Are we still focused on like uh, industry specific or or locality specific technologies, or are we are we becoming more global in the way we think and strategize? Uh, what do you think from like you know the way of supporting technology uh, in those kind of regards? Uh, John, I'll let you go first. Sure, and maybe on this one I'll speak to um, the past and the present, and then hand it off to to Jay with respect to the future. But the AC was founded on the principle one of uh, obviously trying to leverage the opportunities um, uh, of research and, and making sure that there's opportunities for commercialization, of course. Um, but we've developed a long-term program that ends up being what we call sector agnostic. So it's a, it's a program that helps entrepreneurs of, of any sector. So your your typical areas of subject matter expertise from finance to pitch coaching to, to marketing and, and that sort of thing. 
uh, what we have been moving into in recent years is what we would call uh, at the AC is themed incubation. So opening up sector specific areas of support. So we've done that for hardware, uh, you know, what do hardware companies need? They need customized facilities, they need to do shipping and receiving, they need to be able to break things, knock down walls, do some soldering uh, and make messes. Uh, and that's different than the innovators working on software solutions that just need class A office space. Uh, and then we moved uh, a couple of years ago into clean tech. So similar, we we're in a, in a unique building that tells a great story and bringing on uh, sector specific expertise for clean tech. But at the highest mm -hmm. level, traditionally speaking, we've been sector agnostic because uh, the program itself uh, speaks for itself, but it also provides the entrepreneur from any sector, generally speaking, the right kinds of supports. Uh, but that, that's where we are now, and that's where we've been historically. But uh, of course, the, we talk about the future, then uh, throw that to Jay there. Yeah, no, I think John's yeah. being unnecessarily humble. What he's uh, refusing to tell you is that uh, while the AC did all the wonderful things that he just spoke about, I think under John's leadership, uh, the organization did a remarkable job of going online in the middle of the pandemic last year. And, you know, that's that's commendable at multiple fronts, right? You need the technology infrastructure, no doubt, but you also need to be able to source um, startups that buy into, into, into that story. And C, you need to be able to deliver. And I think uh, the AC has done that on, on all those three fronts, which is... And, and we were joking, John and I were joking about this yesterday. Um, nothing really stops us from going global tomorrow because of those three boxes already being checked off, right? So tomorrow, if we appeal to a startup in in, in Connecticut or in Bangalore, uh, we can absolutely pull it off given that we've checked off those boxes. Um, now, that being said, I think the, to answer your question, Ravi, I think the future... Um, so, I, so by the way, I'm still in India. Uh, yeah. Right. So this is testament to the fact that if we can do this uh, virtually, literally on two ends of the planet, um, any organization out there can pivot itself to pull this off as well, right? Mm -hmm. but to go back to your question, I think the beauty of uh, being virtual and being hybrid to some degree for now is... Um, to a large degree, we, we demonstrate our entrepreneurial resilience to continue doing what we do. And in our case, it's acceleration of startups through a structured mm -hmm. methodological program, same set of mentors, appeal to a larger audience, go global, uh, etc. And at the same time, I think at the other end of the journey, just being Know, being humans, we will gravitate towards going back to living in a physical world. Uh, and I do believe that when this thing is done and dusted, and I don't think the virus is going to go away, by the way. Mm. I think it's going to live with us, cohabitate, cohabitate with us, vaccines, health infrastructure, whatever it takes for us to live together. But I think at the end of it, we will go back into being in a physical world. We will continue to have programs running in the locations that John mentioned. And the bridge from now to there is how virtually you can pull off what we've done in the past. And I think that's the beauty of, of both John's work as well as the team's work. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the the beauty in that statement you said, you know, you're halfway across the world making this work. Um, you know, when we were planning for this, you know, we found, uh, you know, you're keeping uh, Toronto hours, you know, sleeping <laughs> in the day or working through the night. Uh, you know, I, I love this. 
No, like there's a lot of di- there's a lot of dynamics between India and and China and uh, and uh, Canada, right? Working together, especially in the entrepreneurial fields. Uh, you know, we've we've had multiple um, entrepreneurs here who you know are Indian companies incubating in Canada. You know, mm-hmm. and one of the things we have found is that you know Canada as an innovation landscape, we're global in our thinking. Right, we recruit talent, you know, from Latin America. But uh, you know, it's a great uh, organization, um, you know, LATAM, that you know that bridges the gap there. Um, you know, of course, even from uh, from um, uh, the America, right? People come here, Europe, right? And, but especially from I- India, I think there's a, there's a unique example here because uh, I was talking to a few accelerators, and there's there's a there's a there's a dynamic between the Indian Indian entrepreneurs and Canadian entrepreneurs. I think that's naturally forming. Like there are Canadian technologies forming here that's finding a fit in India. And there's Indian innovation that's coming here and finding the right kind of root talent to help help things to another level. And it's, there's like a, almost like a corridor being built internationally. And now that things are virtual, and especially like we, again, we have three about in the last week and a half, I think we had two, three companies come from the AC, and they're not, they're not operating physically from the AC at the current moment, right? And uh, Jay, to your point, I, I think with COVID and, and the pandemic, we're going to be experiencing this for the next few years, right? This this like you know periodical uh, you know problem uh, you know um, uh, suspensions from the physical day to day life. So it's going to push us to the more virtual creatures of habit. Um, so as that happens, you know, I've talked to companies that are now running completely remote. They've hired people that they've never met, working for a year together and operating, all right? This this you know taking on this hard problem of running a startup. Uh, so as things kind of like stretch out and atomize and people are now virtually running, right? Do you ever see that like there's going to be internationally held companies and like how the AC can be the hub of that? Like what are the complexities going to be when like Indian companies operating from India, part of the AC, hiring uh, Canadian employees, having people in Europe, right? Like do you see a global marketplace coming up? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. In fact, that would be mm-hmm. the dream. You know, can we yeah? take the... Can we make the AC the epicenter? And I don't want to sound too pompous when I say this, but can we be the epicenter that that proactively makes that happen? Right? We have obviously a phenomenal program uh, whose success speaks for itself, and it's it's structured in a way that it's appealed to the local ecosystem. And the beauty of the ecosystem is that. It's got all the ingredients necessary for it to thrive. It's got talent, it's got a great university, it's got a bunch of ecosystem partners across the region, great great pedigree of people. Um, the only thing missing is the market, right? the size of the market, the Canadian market. And if we can appeal to a larger global audience while keeping the innovation in-house, uh, that would be fantastic. And the other way around too, I was reading up this amazing statistic um, and I think Trump, the Trump administration did a phenomenal job of accelerating it for Canada. But um, the stat was, what is the percentage of immigrants, and specifically skilled immigrants, to the population? In the U.S. has declined, uh, for obvious reasons, in the last few years, and today it's at 0.02%. And the country that's really hitting it out of the park, Canada, uh, and, you know, credit where it's due, the ability to understand that ahead of time and to work on it, to make it happen, it, it, it's phenomenal. So, yeah, so to go back to your point, I think if we can play the role of being a centripetal accelerator that accelerates innovations from across the world and benefits Canada while we are seated out of Waterloo, why not?
Yeah. Uh, I think it was Scott Galloway who put this in my head about the, the innovation industry, the multi-trillion dollar industry is going into the cloud. Mm-hmm. Right. It's 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 moving from these physical uh, physical uh, you know stakes into a more of a cloud infrastructure. And in this now this global environment where things can shift and operate, there still needs to be epicenters. Right. I mean, Canada, the Toronto, the Toronto Waterloo corridor region, is like I think fourth uh, globally as a zone as a hotspot for innovation. Right. Nice. I think it's I think that, I think it goes as uh, Silicon Valley, uh, uh, Shenzhen, and then. Um, uh, Israel as a nation, you know, startup nation, and then Toronto as a hub for innovation, right? And, and I think that, 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 that like, uh, in that kind of category, like, we as a nation, we're like 32 million people in Canada, right? I think that's 18th or below in, in global population. But yet we're in the top 10 uh, in GDP. And since the 60s, we have actually, like, Canada has, like, put itself as a forefront as innovators, Right. I asked this great question. Uh, Jeff um, Jeff Pavin, who runs uh, OPN Open People Network, he connects uh, entrepreneurs. His 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 uh, network connects entrepreneurs and uh, uh, investors across uh, Ontario. And he had this great thing he said in the podcast. He's like, Canada has purposely been been uh, been accelerating and exporting entrepreneurs, right? Because it's because I, I made the I made the assumption like you know America's really good at exporting companies, right? Mm-hmm. But Canada seems to be good at exporting entrepreneurs, and it's true. Like. You know, people come from a global environment into Canada, get trained through our centers, take take back what they learned back to their home countries, and build these comp- companies. But oftentimes, keep branches here. We're seeing these, uh, you know, happen more and more. And uh, Canada's become a very attractive uh, place for entrepreneurs to come and develop and grow, but also go back to develop, you know, to work on global issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to hear about any company, any companies that stand out in this kind of sense. You know, companies that are acting globally and using local resources. Uh, John, anything come to mind? Sure. I mean, with the AC context, the first one I can think of is as uh, a graduate of the AC program called IntelliJoint. So this is a company that has, uh, you know, it's a medtech company, really unique and innovative solutions on how to improve outcomes for hip replacement surgeries. So given the complexities of the Canadian healthcare system, it's a bit tricky for this company to actually engage with the Canadian healthcare system. And yet they're headquartered here in Canada. They are leading a massive initiative to promote uh, medtech companies uh, and growth within Waterloo Region and within Canada, but traditionally speaking, isn't able to engage uh, with, uh, with you know, customers here in Canada. And why are they doing that? Well, I mean, they're, they're proud Canadians and they're not going to be going anywhere. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's this going to be a certain point where hopefully our governments can engage in that. But they have business all around the world, it, like truly speaking, it's, it's a global company. And, uh, and also number one uh, on the Deloitte Fast 50 list with, uh, you know, five digits and percentage worth of growth over the past few years. So it's an incredible company and an incredible Canadian company that's also a great AC success story too. No, definitely. Absolutely. Jay, how about yourself? Yeah, in fact, it's funny. Just last night at the same time, I had a conversation. It was an amazing conversation, AC client. Uh, and he's been through two or three programs with the AC. Uh, you know, generally we were just catching up on various things about what the AC does well, what, it, what, what he would like us to do better, et cetera. And then I found out that um, his first startup was in Bangalore, in India. And this was 10 years ago. And 10 years ago, I do remember reading up about the startup. Most of the folks in the ecosystem knew the startup. No one knew the founder, true to the uh, DNA of a tech founder, not, you know, not, not very outspoken, doesn't get out there on events, et cetera. 
So last night, literally 24 hours ago, is when I said, oh, wait, you're the founder of Gecko? And he goes, uh, yeah, I am. You've heard of me? And I'm like, dude, the whole, like the entire ecosystem here is out of here. No one really knows mm. you. He's now onto his second startup, or maybe third, I don't know. But uh, right now he runs a startup out of Waterloo called Tiny Chef. Uh, okay. Really fascinating stuff. So, which is intelligent what he does because it blew my mind. So what he's built is this algorithm where um, you can have a conversation with the algorithm that allows you to get into the culinary realm. So for example, you can open the refrigerator and say, I have yogurt and I have ice cubes and I have sugar and, and flour. What can I cook? Mm. And this thing turns around and gives you like a whole bunch of recipes. So it's very different from going in and searching for a specific recipe, right? And the reason yep. I mentioned all that is, so he's based out of Waterloo. He's got a dev team in India. He's got a sales team in the US. And he's uh, staying put in Waterloo because he feels like the AI talent is, is top notch. Mm. Uh, and he went on into specific details about how good the AC has been to it. This is not my sales pitch, but literally he went on about how good the AC has been. He's been with a couple of other accelerators, which I won't name, but uh, truly the value that he got out of um, interventions down to the finest detail from the team and the mentors that we have is what allows him to, him per se, to remain in, uh, in Waterloo and with the AC, while his dev team, his ops team, uh, his sales team, etc., continue to remain across the world. So that's that's a was a fantastic story, and I heard it last. And an wow. example to your point of can you remain globally fragmented, but pick your core, uh, pick your area where your core uh, gap that you're trying to fill is. And I think I think mm -hmm. there might be some truth to us building off of that. Right here, here's what we are good at. Here's what Waterloo is good at. Here's what Canada is good at. And let's just double down on that and attract companies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is a testament again, again to the region, right? Like the what you said, Jay, about like companies come here and like the the talent here is so phenomenal. We're not going to leave. Mm -hmm. uh, that's so interesting to me because uh, I entered the innovation industry in 2013 uh, with like my, my my first tech company, uh, you know, and it was a radical different environment. We're still this region is mostly known for banking, Toronto. Right, like that, the big four banks are here, like all the accounting firms, and it was a, it, it's a very different culture. But we've drastically shifted in ten years, right? Like in a decade, drastically very sh quickly into more of a tech nation and more of a tech environment, and uh, and for and and, uh, and being known for it. Uh, John, can you can you speak to the talent in the region? Like, have you seen the evolution of this? What do you, what do you think are the draws for talent to come and stay in uh, Kitchener Waterloo and uh, the Toronto Quarter? Oh, well, absolutely. I think, uh, I mean, first off is quality of life, uh, second to none in my completely biased opinion, uh, not from Kitchener-Waterloo originally and, and just grew uh, to fall in love with it and there's nowhere else uh, I really want to be. So when it comes to, uh, again, quality of life, great place to raise family, great things to do for, for younger people. Uh, it's incredible. And, and there's the tourism pitch. But, um, you know, as far as uh, talent goes, uh, I mean, there's no greater... Uh, corridor within Canada, in our opinion, where talent is being generated and created. And it's really um, not just a great opportunity to uh, for job creation, but at the same time, we're looking for innovators that are developing truly 
fascinating and exciting companies to retain the talent. Because we often hear about, you know, brain drain or, you know, uh, California or bust, uh, you know, people really wanting to work in, in the Valley or something like that. And it's exciting companies that are going to get people to stay. And then that makes an incredible community even more incredible. And I think that that's uh, a piece of the role that BAC really needs to play and has been playing of, uh, you know, people want to work for Tesla, they want to work for Apple. So how do we create those kinds of companies here that people die, uh, you know, would die to have a co-op term with and, and that sort of thing. So that's, that's a piece that we play. But as far as Kitchener-Waterloo and, and the Waterloo-Toronto corridor goes, uh, I mean, there's no other uh, higher concentration of talent or uh, exciting companies really anywhere in the world. No, really cool. Um, absolutely. And I feel like it's almost a, dyna a dynamo, right? Like the talent plus the opportunities, you know, the, the startups are coming there, but also the large companies that are, uh, are coming and building routes and providing them a stable infrastructure, the government grants and programs, community events, right? Like there's like almost like a, uh, it's a, it's a multi-faceted approach to, to build and develop an ecosystem. And that's really what these, uh, you know, centers like yourselves are, uh, really need and uh, need to foster these ecosystems around to support because it's not just like a one party kind of a solution. And uh, I think especially with digital and uh, going digital, you know, the, the idea of communities is so important, building communities and, and community management. Right. Uh, Jay, I'd love to ask you this question. You know, like, what do you think are uh, the, the great pillars of, uh, of a innovation um, ecosystem? Right. How do you develop one? How do you uh, incubate the ecosystem in general? How do you foster yeah. that? I, I love this aspect of it because uh, for multiple reasons. So one, you know, I was an entrepreneur serendipitously in the U.S. when I was in grad school. And this is, the, this is 1999. So now you have a very good idea of how old I am, but nevertheless. Um, the, uh, and what I realized back then was at that time, most of uh, building an ecosystem revolves around the usual suspects, right? Talent, great university, academic pedigree, access to great mentors, access to uh, a caliber of people that you can look up to as they take you to market, and eventually capital. But much later, 10 years later, or, or even five years from today, um, things have changed dramatically. While all those ingredients are still key, the point that you made about community is so different from what it was 20 years ago. And I think today, um, building an ecosystem centers around uh, density, momentum, and diversity. And I think if you have those three, three circles converging, the bigger the intersection, the bigger the chances of success. And I'll give you some examples, and this is purely based off of my own experience at, at, uh, at my previous organization. Um, so if you pick up a startup, um, like a WhatsApp, right? A messaging uh, application, zero to minimum revenue, great product stack, and has a few million users in the early days. And if you have that product coming out of the Valley versus the exact same product coming out of, um, you know, let's say Pune or Hyderabad in India, the valuations are just night and day. You know, when, when Facebook went and acquired WhatsApp for 20 billion, there's no way they would have paid that much had it come out of your three tier four city. And therein lies the beauty of, and, and by no means am I saying that WhatsApp is, is not a good product, I think it's a great product. Um, but therein lies the beauty of, of momentum. If you live in the valley, the momentum that the biggies carry and, and take you along with you 
allows you to ask not only the price that you want as a founder, but also to be able to understand the, the game, the way it is played. The, the density part of it has to do with how much can you pack together in one little geography that every little impact or, or every little failure that one encounters, very quickly somebody else latches onto it and does not make the same mistake or gets affected by the same impact, right? And I think that's the beauty of density. Diversity, uh, in addition to the, the obvious statement that it brings with it a spectrum of ways of thinking, I think diversity best viewed is through the lens of you can never solve, uh, you can never come up with a solution if you use the same lens through which the problem was created in the first place. And there mm -hmm. lies the beauty of diversity, right? Diversity of thought, diversity of gender, diversity of race, diversity of science and technology. So when you have these three circles intersecting in a geography, I think the chances of that geography just taking off are very, very, very high. And it was also one of the reasons last year during the lockdown when I was looking at where do I want to go next in life? Um, really Waterloo stood out. It, it had all those key pieces um, standing out significantly. Um, and that goes back to your point of what do I think are the key pillars of building an ecosystem? Me, I think those are the three pillars, those those three circles, and ideally the intersection of those three circles. Hmm, that, that's super interesting. Uh, I love how you uh, frame that. So, I mean, going back to, um, I mean, uh, yourselves, right? Let's let's. Uh, I want to dive deeper into, um, you know, a little bit of the past year, um, you know, but being a supporter of the Innovation Center, like, do you know, like? You know, early in the show, we used to do this question. We ask all, all the guests coming on, are you part of, like, you know, which part of the spectrum are you, right? Are you an entrepreneur who uh, is more vision-oriented or more um, execution-oriented, right? So the, uh, the, the, the vision type of entrepreneur is someone who sees, like, uh, this great vision, like, of, of the mountaintop and is haunted by it, right? And just keep drawing to this vision that, of what the world could be. Whereas the execution type entrepreneur is someone who has some deep, acquired some deep knowledge or understanding in some particular field or industry and sees opportunity and sees a systematic way of going about it. And it's like, well, the, you know, the spectrum is like, you know, it's, it's indicative of everyone involved in this economy, right? Like where you, where you kind of involved, like, do you see opportunity first and, and you make it systematically and plan for that? Or are you haunted by this kind of dream for what the world could be? Um, and, it, and it's a real great test, a real great question to, I guess, get deeper into what the individual is. So I'd love to ask you both, you know, um, uh, how, you know, are you entrepreneurial? Like, have you had entrepreneurial ventures before? And which side of this of the, of the spectrum do you do you lie? Uh, I'll start with you, John. Sure. So not at all entrepreneurial. <laughs> um, definitely, uh, you know, uh, chatting with uh, family of late and uh, heard that my uh, father, um, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, had a family reunion uh, with a family that we'd never met uh, in the Netherlands. And, you know, as he's going around speaking to each member of the family, uh, he's starting to notice some trends, which is, you know, everyone here seems to be bureaucrats and, and just sort of uh, people incrementally moving things forward. So very much uh, not entrepreneurial. Uh, and anyone at the AC could certainly attest to that being uh, my mindset as well. So definitely uh, always with a vision on how to incrementally improve things. Uh, mm. But, you know, can I say that I'm haunted because things aren't as, uh, 
as they could be is, is probably not me, although I very much love love the the visionary piece and you know how can I help execute on that and, and what role can I play in, in bringing about that kind of reality. But uh, you know, in the truest nature of the word entrepreneurial, uh, not at all. I even you know was doing a home rental project and uh, the garbage bags that one has to buy for that are called contractor class bags. And then in French it says entrepreneurs and I'm like, well that's not me. <laughs> I'm not an entrepreneur. Can I even buy these bags? I don't know. <laughs> No, um, definitely. I mean, that, that that's uh, so indicative of the of the, uh, of the ecosystem, right? There's so many different uh, t talented parts that need to come in and from different freight works to see how all the pieces fit to support companies. Um, I'd like but, to think so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Jay, uh, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm certainly of the entrepreneurial breed. I've done this so many times. Uh, by that, I mean startups. Um, and, and I think it... Uh, I heard this great line by Mike Morris uh, when he said the reason why some entrepreneurs succeed and some don't um, is this one single trait and it's hunger. Uh, and I, I really buy into mm. it. And I think it's uh, to some degree intrinsic in the way I uh, in the way I was brought up, largely because uh, you know I grew up poor, uh, very 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 lower middle class at best and then as my dad kept uh, climbing up the his career ladder we started to see glimpses of okay what is a good what is a what does a real middle class look like never made it to the upper mm. echelons of the middle class so there was always hunger right um it was it was imbibed in siblings and my brother and i so mm. to the degree that i remember when both of us ended up going to the u.s for higher studies for education both times it was, it was my parents bursting the bank and savings account and saying, well, this is all I have, right? Make sure, make sure you do what you do to thrive wherever you go. Cause I don't have money to bring you guys back. But that led to my first startup was, uh, um, with my professor in grad school, very serendipitous, got to work with them, a lot of fun. Eventually worked with a bunch of tech firms one of which also went through an acquisition in, in Boston. And I got a sense of, okay, what, what, you know, how do you take a product that is small, but meaningful, solves a bunch of problems. And in this particular case, it was uh, the early days of, this sounds so passe, facts over IP. <laughs> I don't even know if people use facts anymore, but it was facts over IP, voice over IP, media gateway, concatenate all of it, put it in a hardware box. Eventually got acquired by Dialogic and then by Intel. Um, and I went on to do a little bit of product management at Juniper and at Cisco, came back to India um, and started a startup with a bunch of my friends from grad school. And uh, that fortunately got acquired. And that was a startup which was really solving a bunch of problems. Um, and we started off with this technology solution, which today I guess is called IoT where we were tracking these giant machines across value chains at the factory on the shop floor in lithography for, for chip manufacturers, et cetera. But the real value came when we pivoted and started tracking cattle, thousands of cattle being tracked for the farmer by the insurance company. So that's when we really found value in doing what we did. Um, and the entrepreneurial high was something else about we had gone through so many lows and then we finally hit it and the money started to flow in. 
you know, that's that's when that's when that's when you get a kick out of it. Mm. And that was my second venture, and much later, a third venture, which didn't go anywhere, um, way ahead of its time, too tech oriented. But all that is to say that yeah, I've always been driven by, hey, there's a problem to be solved, go fix it. Um, fortunately, we have a bit of a tech background, so hopefully, we can use tech to solve it. And through the journey, well, maybe we should pivot, look for look for another way to solve it. So, you know, just get obsessive with problem solving. So, yes, yeah, so I'm definitely a entrepreneurial <laughs> I, I like the way, Jay, you described that with the hunger, because when I say, oh, like, I'm not entrepreneurial at all, it makes me sound very vanilla and uh, and not at all a compliment to this. But a hunger, I love that, um, because I, I feel that in, a, in other ways about what motivates me and like what my piece in driving the, the AC forward is the hunger is making this community better. Uh, so that makes me feel a little bit better about myself. Thank you. <laughs> and I can vouch for that, because I've seen, and, and to your earlier question, probably the way you asked it, I think um, the way I've seen John operate, he's a he's got attention to detail, right? He, he he would he would make the perfect match with the founder who just dreams. And John <laughs> brings all the execution details to the table and says, "Well, you do your dreaming bit, but I'm going to make sure that you don't fall off the rails." So I, yeah, I can vouch for I can vouch for that, John. <laughs> yeah, John, you're you're exactly like my co-founder uh, Henry. So okay. like you know. I just like, oh, I see this. We got to go here, here, do this. And he's like, okay, okay, but we'll figure it out. We'll get there. Um, you, you know, that, it's, that, a that, that, bit, bit, between, it's a fine yeah. line between that and being the yeah, but guy. Because I don't want to be the yeah, but guy. It's the, <laughs> so here's how we're going to do it versus, yeah, I don't know about that. Oh, man, that's such a good point. Because uh, yeah, but guys will always ruin such a good ideas. Right by like pointing out the flaws first, um, you know. Yeah. I, I love you know. I love surrounding by people who who think that way, John. You know, like uh, truly, right? It was like who start thinking like, okay, let's instead of talking about the negatives, wh- how can we make this work, right? Even in a constructive way, the, the constructive criticisms. If this is to work, this all this would have to change, and uh, yeah. that's kind of first principles thinking, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you know if somebody talked about like electric vehicles or even self driving cars, like you know, ten fifteen years ago that yeah but guy would be like all over that and like you know all these different things but if you talk about oh but you know we need to change this side we need to change regulation we need mm-hmm. to need better batteries we need this this like you start listing out the problems then the 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 the, the mountain becomes visible right of the, of the the problem the problem mountain becomes visible like all these need to be then you can start shaving away at different problems maybe right and i think that's so con- so indicative to entrepreneurship Right, um, you know Travis Rutnam, um He's the CEO of uh, Knowledge Hook out of Kitchener Waterloo. It's a hundred million dollar ed tech company, uh, and you know he, he you know I, I love talking to him about this because he um, he talks about uh, you know startups not being a, a larger version of a company, right? Mm-hmm. Startups are really laboratory; they're experiments, right? People lab in lab coats looking for a repeatable business model. Right, and it's uh, it's based off the thinking of uh, Steve Blank, um, "Search Works Execute," that old uh, uh, blog post he made. You now, so uh, when you're a startup, you're searching for repeal of business model, but then once you've found that, you turn into execute mode. You're executing on that model, and it requires almost like a multi-dimensional kind of uh, thinking. And that's why it's it's so important that two different types of people are at least co-founders. Because, you know, one person can be really good at developing the company, developing the business model, thinking about that, the, doing the lab coats. 
but uh, execution requires a different level of thinking, right? The commercialization of that business model almost, right? Um, I'd love to, uh, you know, hear from, you know, you both about uh, your vision of, you know, what entrepreneur, like, you know, what, what a good startup looks like, you know, what is, especially when they're, you know, early stage and they're just hitting their, hitting their, hitting their execution level of finding that repeatable business model. You know, what does that look like? What does a good dynamo of a company look like? Like, um, you know, is there a template or are you still trying to discover this? Are we trying to discover this? Uh, John, what are your thoughts? Um, probably an entrepreneurial answer since we're going down that thread, but yeah. what, what is, uh, you know, an excellent startup look like? Um, I think for me, rather than the internal dynamics, really thinking about uh, the impact. So some of the companies that we traditionally look for at the EAC are ones where, okay, so this is truly a disruptive, uh, you know, piece of innovation, but does it make the world better at the end of the day? Um, and those are the kinds of companies that we want to support. So referenced earlier one on med tech improving, you know, outcomes and, you know, we have a, a clean tech program that truly wants to have an impact to change the world for the better. So. What are we doing here? Are we building, uh, not to criticize anything, but are we building like Ashley Madison style companies that are, you know, tools to ruin people's lives or are we bringing about innovations that make people's lives better? And, and that sort of is obviously consistent with what drives me uh, as reference in the last conversation, but, but also the kinds of innovations that we want to have in, in solving real world problems um, and, and being successful in that. So maybe a different, different answer than what you're looking for, but for me, no, that's, I like that. that's the perfect kind of company. I like that. It's a values-based answer, right? Like you're looking for the type of values um, people, uh, you know, the, the people have. And I think that's even more important to, to look at. Uh, I think we're moving more to a, a values-driven culture, um, and it's and that's very important to be uh, open about that. Um, cool, Jay. What, what are your thoughts? What does a good like uh, a team look like? Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything John said. But uh, in terms of entrepreneurial DNA. Um, you know, I think oftentimes the reason why startups fail, especially tech startups, the reason why they fail is because they they build solutions that are looking for a problem. Right? Mm. And I think good startups are always the other way around. They they find the problem and then go figure out how to fix it. So start with start with the problem first, and then be obsessed about it to the degree that I'm going to go fix it one way or the other as opposed to tech founders who are obsessed with the solution that they have, be it an outcome of their thesis or, or a project that they have. And then they obsessively go look for a problem because they have a product of some sort. So I think it starts with that. The second piece to it is once you've identified the problem, then the path to get to execution is where having a a supplementary set of skills from a co-founder really, really helps as opposed to a complementary set of skills, right? I mean, ideally, if the two overlap a little bit, then I think it's a much better combination than if the two overlap a lot because you're, you're covering more space if the two are supplementary in nature. Um, so I think that would be mm. the second group. And unfortunately, you know, I think in the last five years, we've sort of, as a... As a race, we've obsessed with B2C. Um, and some of it, I, I can't even make sense out of it. I mean, the valuations that's out there for some of these companies that are really, I don't know if they're really solving any problems, but it's easy money for all. It hits a bunch mm. of metrics. It's easy money for the seed investor to get out quickly, easy money for the next investor to get out quickly, easy money for the founder to check off a bunch of boxes to raise capital. It almost feels like to... To John's earlier point, it almost feels like 
it's time we start solving real infrastructural tough difficult problems like, like climate change like this thing is going to kill us in, like in our generation but at the same time the amount of money that's chasing and I don't want to company, but no, <laughs> yeah, no, I think Jay, uh, you're you're highlighting a great uh, uh, great problem in the industry. Is like you know we have these great sh- shining objects that get funded right. really easily, and we think that's like what entrepreneurship is. And mm-hmm. companies who try to chase that kind of similar trajectory, you know, don't don't end up the same kind of way, you know, and they get left out. Um, but you know, talking about that, you know, these gaps um, in, uh, in 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 sort of growth and uh, and and, and, fund, and and moving that forward, right? Like, I think like uh, you know, someone once told me the VC landscape is basically creating um, controlled asset bubbles, mm-hmm. right? Which are you know you're 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 pretty much you're buying uh, future valuations at a discount. And you're and you're right. and you're trying to create like a controlled kind of like 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 a, you're controlling uh, you know a, a, this part of the economy, but mm-hmm. like that is um, you know not that's kind of indicative of innovation. Somehow like that that industry and innovation got tightly blind, blind together, and that's that's become the sole way of commercializing an idea, right? Especially in tech, but they're becoming alternatives. You know, there's alternative ways to ways to grow this. Um, industrial partnerships. I was shocked to find that. Now about it's a hundred and ninety billion dollar annual uh, uh, industry, um, where large enterprises partner with small companies specifically to launch like a third, you know, uh, joint ventures or uh, partnerships uh, and together solve uh, you know larger problems, right? And that marketplace also exists, and there's also these other uh, other venues for you to you know to, to develop as a company. And I think what you talked about, you know, the hacker versus hustler mentality in entrepreneurship, I think is super important, right? In tech. You know, you because uh, you're creating this product, you know, for uh, you know, uh, virtually free. If you know how to code, you're just building this thing out. You can fo- you can you can be a really good hacker and just hack together these products that can go out and live and and, and solve problems. But you know, mixing a good hustler, an element of hustling into that, you know, is you know, how, trying to figure out um, how do I take an ROI out of this venture? How do I take an ROI out of this? Is you know, the market responding back to your problem, right? The market pays you, in according to the, the how hard of a problem you solve. Right, and it, uh, that's a good way of, uh, of putting it. So the hustler versus hacker mentality, I think, is super important. So how do we how do we cultivate that? Um, you know, st- we've known that startups, you know, entrepreneurs uh, are like ten percent of our population. Um, you know, I think that's the that's the right number. But you know, do you think that entrepreneurs are made, uh, or are are, are entrepreneurs um, born? Um, you know, what, what do you think about cultivating that? You know, especially uh, you know, being parents yourselves. Um, you know, do you think that that kind of uh, I, I, that kind of uh, um, that kind of skill set is cultivated, or is it just born into it? You're making me question and change how I'm going to parent, <laughs> which is that's that's really neat because I mean, uh, what, what I take away from that is uh, you know, encouraging uh, curiosity and asking questions, um, and encouraging you know children to you know think of you know what went what went into things or what are the what caused what we're seeing here now uh so just as you're saying that it's like ah so to encourage entrepreneurship it's also about asking asking them to ask questions and encouraging them to to speak for themselves and i'm gonna have to think on that one a little bit while jay speaks (laughs) yeah yeah i i this goes back to the whole nurture versus nature right and i do believe from a little that I've been exposed to, I think entrepreneurs are made. I think circumstances mm. around them force them to 
not be happy with the status quo and say, well, I'm going to go change it. Um, and there's also, I think, a reason why uh, the 10% that you alluded to, Ravi, is... Uh, I, I'd love to know what the 10% was, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago, right? I do believe that it, it must be going up. I think we live in a world where the future of work allows us to not necessarily do one thing from nine to five, but follow your passions and do seven different things at your own choice, right? Case mm. in point, the infrastructure that allows us to do what we're doing now. So I think the next generation will have that luxury. Um, and maybe it'll end up being a scenario where they can do entrepreneurial stuff to pique their curiosity while working for the man that pays for the bills. So it might might end up being both those things is what I think. Yeah, I, I love you. You, know, you brought that up because um, the next generation, I think it's very interesting to note because the barriers to entrepreneurship is gone. I remember when I was a kid, yeah. like when I was in middle school, if I you know my version of hustle was to download music for the Internet, burn into a CD and sell the CD at school. I had to kind of break, break the law to kind of make, trying to trying to be a you know be an entrepreneur because the, the the skills I can learn or do is I'm so limited. But now kids, you know, they can learn skills and and develop you know um, you know uh, media and just put themselves out there and launch these things. Right. Uh, one of the most interesting things I've seen is like uh, is is especially the gaming industry. You know, there are like 14 year olds building skins for like in game items uh, that are being sold to 11 year olds using in-game currency uh, that has its own micro-economy. And then someone right. out there has figured, figured a way to like turn that into real-world uh, value. Uh, and then now there, uh, there are game items like in Roblox and things, like these kids are essentially futures trading because they're buying mm -hmm. futures contracts and what are, are, like, you know, their favorite players are going to create in the future and supporting them that way. And these kids are becoming more sophisticated through these, right. you know, these intrinsic angles of, like, of gaming, mixing with the economies and, and, and hustling, right? Mm -hmm. The youngest billionaire, I think, is like 17. And it's expected the next 10, 15 years, we're going to see like a 14-year-old billionaire develop, right. you know, just because of yeah, NFTs yeah, and, are... and barriers of access. I'm sorry, I was just going to ask, these are first-generation yeah. billionaires, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, we're not, we're. Not I think we're cutting in and out, but uh, yeah, the uh, the first generation. So, funny enough, if you look at the uh, in North America, anyways, uh, the the publicly available list of billionaires of wealth, ninety two percent are first generation. That's amazing, right? Like oh, that, wow. it's, right. So the 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 most majority of the of of, of billionaires are are are, are uh, first generation. In fact, mm -hmm. the number one way of actually making millionaires is to inherit from billionaires, mm -hmm. right? So their their inheritance gets spread out, and you become a millionaire. But um, you know, multi-millionaire, anyways. But uh, billionaires are generally first generation, and uh, importantly, uh, most most billionaires, like you know, in the spread, make their money in the in their fifties and sixties. Generally, because it takes 20, 30 years of making mistakes, of failures to right. learn to learn the rules of getting there, right? right. So, uh, so like, uh, you know, th this is an interesting th point that uh, I think Naval Ravikant, uh, the founder of AngelList, uh, talks about, right? Is that the internet is, um, is actually reversing us culturally. We're making us tribal, making us more into hunters and gatherers. Because no longer are we relying on those government jobs or like those corporate jobs that will take care of us for 30, 40, 50 years. We're now forced to now hunt and forge on our own. And because of that kind of culture is you know being implemented into us, people are looking naturally to like, oh, what can I do to escape the system, right? What can I do to like, you know, to create beyond me? So the idea of actual wealth instead of instead of money 
is uh, is being put in people's heads. How can I get assets or build assets, especially mm-hmm. uh, frictionlessly on uh, through through you know the power of the internet, right? Whether it be you know, um, Naval talks about uh, permissionless leverage, media right. and uh, and code, right? So permission the old uh, the old points of leverage, you know, money and labor are permissioned, right? You had, people had to give it to you, you know, you asked for permission, but the new points of, la- uh, of leverage. Is media and uh, and, um, and and code and both. If you go and learn the skills and acquire the technology, you can just deploy that yourself. You can create these assets that can live beyond you, right? So because the barrier of entries have become so cheap, and now this leverage has been given to those who have it, I think we're seeing a coalescence of like you know more creators, more innovations, and you know we're flipping again from like the white collar workers of the third industrial age to now the knowledge workers. Or the fourth right. industrial wage, right? Knowledge workers use knowledge to build things of exponential growth. You know, um, either in, in internal skill sets or uh, external products that can, can build this. So I think entrepreneurship is becoming more and more like uh, mainstream as like a type of work, mm-hmm. right? And I think we're yeah. going to see more of that, especially as AI and technology becomes more and more widespread. And the driving factors are these two factors, right? The idea of right. leverage being being uh, freely available. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, agree. Yeah, go ahead. I, I had this amazing story as you were speaking. I was thinking of this in terms of uh, leverage, right? So this is about five years ago. I get this email that said, hey, listen, Jay, I want to meet you. I want to figure out, I want, I want your help to see if I can take this this little science project to market. And the whole email was, was super geek speak, right? I kept talking about magnets in, <clears throat> three magnets in circular motion and the, uh, and with that velocity, it creates a magnetic field. And because it, it has a magnetic field, it can create electricity. And I ignored this mail. I was like, yeah, whatever. And then I kept getting this mail every week. And then I finally told this guy, all right, let's meet. Because you know, what, what you're describing here is just basic high school math. But let's meet. And believe it or not, a 12-year-old kid walks in. And this guy had built these magnets, he stuck it up on a ceiling fan because he heard somewhere in some textbook that, oh, if magnets rotate, it creates a field. And then he also read that, oh, if there is a field, I can generate a little bit of electricity. And this kid had no electricity at home, right? He was from a rural part of India. Wow. And yeah, I mean, I was shocked. So to your point of leverage, all he needed was internet to shoot that email out. And then of course I met this guy and then we built, we built a prototype um, and then he tried to optimize this thing to be at about $10 so he can sell it to slums in India, et cetera. Yeah, but amazing. I mean, thanks to the internet, there are, there's the ability for kids like this to dream big, which was impossible otherwise. Amazing. I love that. I mean, this is the, this is the, the, the industry we're in, right? The innovation economy, right? It's mm-hmm. to, it's to empower those who have ideas, have visions, um, have these abilities to create impacts. Um, I think we're, I think the way we fix capitalism, we talk about now lately, is like we we turn capitalism into social capitalism. Right? We we mark not just profits, but also the impacts we have in the world, and things like that. Right? Like having someone like that being able to enter the the, the global knowledge knowledge worker workforce is everything. Even the, you know it's the you know the, you know the transparency and the internet is a great equalizer in that sense, right? If you have the talent, if you have the will, if you if you have the the knowledge, it'll be there. But how much greater can we be when you know that same kid can go on YouTube and and talk about this stuff and people just start dumping money at him and they can tip him, go on Twitch and people just like yo 
Creed inventing kid, you know, and turn that now through the channel now into like an, uh, into a mini like accelerator itself, right? To you know, uh, to move things forward. So I think I think technology in that sense has a great appeals. And you know, going back to uh, you know the AC center and the innovation going into the cloud, this is all part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that that same kid, you know, in the future, the future version of that kid is going to be able to see. Uh, you know, cloud-based infrastructure being existing and being like, okay, I need to do this, this, this to be able to accept my project into this place because that's what this company did, right? And because we're now in a global marketplace, right, he, they can think about that of like, oh, how can I enter this environment? And if not, where else can I go? Um, so the digital infrastructure, I think, for for the innovation field is, uh, I think, uh, is coming to be. And definitely with, the, you know, your thoughts you shared today, I'm, I'm very confident with the AC Center and how you guys will uh, lead us into the future. So, I'm very optimistic for the post-pandemic future of how innovation will, you know, keep keep guiding the light. Awesome, thank you, thank you, absolutely. Perfect. Um, so we'll wrap up there. You know, we're at, we are at the hour here. I really uh, enjoyed having you both here. Um, you know, uh, I feel like we discussed a lot of great uh, different ideas. Um, and again, the AC Center is is a great place. If anyone who's watching this, uh, you know, have an idea, definitely check out the AC Center as a place to, uh, to take your take your startup. Um, but any uh, lasting words before we depart, John, Jay? I just sort of, I, I love that story and I love how it pulls everything together and really speaks to uh, the different motivations uh, when we talk a little bit about what drives each one of us and then like how else, where else could you find uh, somewhere to drive, uh, to pull what drives everyone together uh, to have impact um, and to, to truly do what we do. So I, that was great. Yeah, thank, and thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you. Perfect. Yeah, thanks. Thanks okay. for having us here. It was, it was a lot of fun. And like you correctly concluded at the end of it, uh, we would love to see entrepreneurs from different parts of the world or even innovators from different parts of the world to come to the AC so that we can help you fulfill your dream. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks for uh, everyone who joined us. And thank you, Jay and John, for your time here today. I really appreciate that. Um, stick around for a few minutes. We'll do a quick debrief. But uh, guys, check out the AC Center. <laughs>